Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? So uh, uh, I'm Guan Zhong Yang. Uh, I was the director for the Hamlin Center at Imperial College, now the, the uh, Institute of Medical Robotics in Shanghai Jiao Tong University. So I'm the founding dean over there. Mm-hmm. Great. So, of course, we have a really enriching experience. And I would like to ask you, what is the first robot you build? Uh, and what's your memories you have when you have actual robot you build by yourself? So in my career, I've built various robots. But so my area of work is in medical robotics. Mm-hmm. So probably one of the best known medical robotics that, uh, you know, is the iStick robot we have built. Yeah. And uh, do you have any memories you have at uh, when you see your first robot? Any thoughts you had, um, how it would be the future? How would the feeling at this time you had? Uh, well, that, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think for all of us that uh, our imagination for robots probably are very much influenced by Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. So those hymnal robots, whether they are villains or saviors, uh, you know, they all take a human form. But uh, it's really when you start to look at, uh, you know, professional robotics, particularly those ones that in field robotics, medical robotics for space exploration and so on, it is really the function mm-hmm. that uh, really matters. So for this, that I think there is a big transformation uh, for me that in terms of how the robots needs to be, how they can be used and also where it will lead in future. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to go back when you were a child. Uh, have you ever been like afraid from robots figures uh, no, the, 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 my memory of robots are all good ones that mm-hmm. uh, uh, they, they are really associated with, you know, as a child, largely from toys and uh, later on that uh, through interacting with those control devices and so on. So I'm always interested in electronics, so mm-hmm. largely due to family influence and so on. So my both my parents are uh, worried that, that, you know, professors in uh, electronic engineering. So... Mm-hmm. For robotics, has never been a uh, uh, never been an alien to me. Yeah. Sorry for the pun. Okay. So I think we're really interested to know how this idea of co-founding Himalaya uh, Center Robotic Surgery, which is really really a social hub for uh, innovation, especially in surgical robotics, how how this was like to start, and it was easy for you, or was it challenging to come with this idea? So I found the uh, Hamling Center really that, you know, from the ground up. So mm. uh, the Hamling Center, our motto was really to develop technologies that are safe, yeah. effective, and also accessible. Mm-hmm. So as engineers, that, you know, we all know the importance of developing safe, effective, and also sophisticated technologies. Mm-hmm. And for surgical robotics, there are many 
platforms out there that are already moving from laboratory settings into clinical practice. But if you think about it, the current generation robotic system, they tend to be large. They are very sophisticated, uh, but they are quite uh, expensive. Mm -hmm. The consumables costs are high. So that is really the question that how many hospitals that, uh, that will be able to be able to afford those systems. If you look at uh, Intuitive Surgical as an example, uh, which is the leader in this field, they have over 4,000 robotic systems uh, around the world, and they are steadily increasing as well, of course. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to see the impact of surgical robots, uh, what what we really would like to see is all operating suitors will have one or other form another form of robots in operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily to complete the entire procedure, but perhaps only to complete some steps that are difficult to do with bare hands. And so that's really the uh, uh, motivation for us to establish this uh, center. Uh, we are very grateful to the uh, generous donation by uh, Helen Hamling that, mm-hmm. uh, to support us in this endeavor is to develop technologies that are not only safe, effective, but also uh, accessible to the general publication. Mm-hmm. Wait. Uh, to the general population. Yeah. Yeah. So since now of robotics is emerging field, and we can see a lot of uh, um, works related to medical aspect or surgical aspect. Um, before going to answer this question, I would like to ask you first how you would define soft robotics from your experience. And since it, it can't now be integrated in surgical robotics, how you would define the concept of soft robotics? So there are no fixed term to define soft robotics. Mm-hmm. That, you know, uh, different. It's, I think it's uh, still a loosely defined form, uh, whether this is being in its uh, shape and form that they're being soft or being compliant, mm-hmm. or that uh, this is similar to those find in um, uh, in in living organisms. So I think all in all that, you know, uh, uh, from the soft robotics point of view, number one, it draws a lot of inspiration from living organisms, can Mm -hmm. adapt to their surroundings. Uh, This is in contrast to the more traditional way of uh, building robot using mechanical uh, components, motors and the gears and so on. the other thing is really that uh, it's adaptability for, uh, you know, uh, in this environment and also manipulating objects. So if you use a rigid form that obviously you have a lot of issues, you know, understanding object, that, how to grasp and, uh, you know, where to grasp and all this, all these issues. And with the soft compliant actuators, uh, many of the problem can be naturally go away. So you may have seen this uh, soft robotics embodied mm-hmm. as a soft grasper. So using uh, a granular jamming and this mm-hmm. are all examples of that. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, in terms of the soft robotics, this perhaps is falls into the general category of using new materials mm-hmm. based on by inspired designs uh, to complete task that uh, that is different to the traditional uh, mechatronic approaches. Mm-hmm. That's interesting point about material because it's like embodied intelligence. But uh, do you think how do you think the experience now, in terms of the progress of using new materials like smart materials? Do you think still we had a lot of time because we still have 
a limitation in, in the mechanical responses of material, for example? Uh, I personally believe in the next 10 years that uh, uh, the really the development, new development of robotics will be underpinned by new materials. Mm -hmm. uh, think about that, uh, uh, you know, whether this due to the requirement of miniaturization yeah. or due to the uh, necessity of adopting by inspired designs or handling complex objects, uh, the development of new materials will certainly add new dimensions, both in terms of actuation, sensing, computation to some extent, mm -hmm. uh, uh, as well as other aspects. So in fact, uh, being the uh, uh, founding editor for Science Robotics, that, uh, we've been advocating this for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, so in uh, a couple of years ago that uh, we uh, published a, uh, a focus article along with Pierre Fisher and also Bradley Nielsen and highlighting the importance of new materials for next generation robots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would like to ask you, what do you think the most important questions that should be considered and you think that the community is still not taking this kind of directions yet or maybe important consideration? What could be the questions, important questions? Uh, in terms of uh, which aspect? Like using material, do you think there is a sufficient uh, effort to understand how the material behave and then we can improve the performance, for example? Or maybe something, maybe we don't know something like important question we shouldn't, we, we didn't consider yet. I see, okay. So in terms of materials, I think a lot has been investigated in terms of its actuation. So whether it's, you know, uh, using uh, thermal, yeah. using uh, light, using, uh, you know, uh, magnetic or other forms. Mm -hmm. But the actuation in response to certain stimuli is not, the, is not, you know, this itself doesn't constitute a robot. I think, you know, in terms of how would you be able to integrate uh, sensing, how do you have certain uh, levels of uh, local computation mm -hmm. and of course that currently you can use uh, digital uh, processors and uh, with uh, interconnects and so on to do that but there are there smarter way of doing that to have intrinsic capability of sensing mm -hmm. and what about the energy so you know our uh, muscle actuates and uh, all you know different organs that, that the way our heart contracts and so on does so they have a uh, uh, intrinsic, uh, you know, uh, uh, energy supply, and can we harvest energy, and also that uh, adopting by inspired design principles, and I think all those things really offers new uh, uh, opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I ask you what kind of like inspiring uh, creature you think we have to consider uh, in our research inspiring living creature the most inspiring one is the body of ourself i think mm. a human body represents uh, you know a tremendous mm -hmm. source of inspiration that uh, for various designs but from the practical terms perhaps that uh, a lot of the uh, you know uh, uh, simpler creatures that uh, we can learn from so uh, in designing our snake robot, we've been yeah. uh, analyzing a lot of the behavior, the locomotion of the snakes and so on that uh, to help us to adopt some of the buying spire principles. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and many of the people working soft robotics actually study the octopus that yeah. uh, its ability to you know go through very narrow passages and also its ability to sense grasp and and also that uh, with the local combination all this represent very interesting uh, 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 features for us to learn so the ability to sense to respond to interact with the environment and uh, you know how do we make use of the smart material not only just the soft material use the pneumatic or hydraulic actuation mm-hmm. but do you think that like the morphology of the shape of the surgical robots plays a significant role that we have to consider since we see some limitations in kind of the movement or just inside a human body. Do you think we still we have to work on that, or it's sufficient enough? So the current generation of surgical robots, they tend to use rigid links. So these are rigid instruments with uh, uh, articulated and uh, uh, factors to help completing certain tasks. Our priorities at the moment are largely focused on accuracy, consistency, and safety. Mm-hmm. Now thinking forward. Moving forward, that uh, the current generation surgical robots are really designed for end stage or late stage intervention, where you have a very clear symptom and uh, it's manifested as, uh, you know, quite often as morphological changes or clearly uh, identifiable uh, lesions that for us to operate. So mm-hmm. in this case, is how do you operate safely to spare uh, vital organs? Know, uh, and including you know, neurovascular bundles and so on. <clears throat> and also combined with other modalities such as imaging to give you the, uh, uh, give you the uh, interoperative accuracy guidance that's required. Mm-hmm. Now, the re- real reason for us to adopt robotics for surgery, in my view, is more towards early intervention i.e. that mm. disease at the early stage that we can use the robot to access, intervene for those deep-seated lesions. A lot of those lesions are actually uh, within the lumen, whether it's within the GI or in the uh, you know uh, vasculature. Yeah. So imagine that uh, uh, if we want to intervene or access to those lesions through those vessels, and we call it generally called endoluminal procedures, then you need to navigate within those lumens. You need to think about the collateral damage, damaging to the wall, and also be able to conform to the vessel geometry that mm-hmm. uh, reaching to the target. Yeah. And all these things is very much similar to uh, how certain locomotion of the snake that in reaching to the target lies past following and you know, navigating torturous pathways. So the flexibility gives you this navigation advantage as well as safety. But in the same time, you also need to have the rigidity in terms of manipulating uh, the targeted tissue. So, and all this, I think, represents a unique challenge in terms of the material design. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, people use the, uh, you know, more standard mechatronic linkages to construct this as a uh, continual robot. But mm-hmm. now more and more people are relying on new materials combined with 3D or 4D fabrication schemes for mm-hmm. these robots. So these are really exciting opportunities because that uh, imagine if we can also combine with intrinsic sensing yeah. to understand the shape, uh, the 
of the snake itself, the robot itself, as well as local computation that mm -hmm. uh, the computation will give you the uh, locomotion and also uh, sensing capabilities and all this will turn more like a, uh, you know, more in smart and intelligent robot that can be used in for surgical applications. Mm -hmm. Great. So do you think that having fully soft robots is not important in that case? Uh, do you agree with that? Uh, you know, you, I think in general that you don't want to develop a robot to be soft for the sake of being soft. It's mm -hmm. really to think about the advantages. In this case, it's really the, uh, 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 the ability to navigate, but also mm -hmm. you can you know, stiffen itself that when you need to manipulate the tissue. So these are all very much depends on the uh, usage scenarios and also the type of procedures you want to uh, uh, you want to work on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you think that having like because I think Bill Fisher was working in micro micro swimmer just just to, to reach certain location. If what could be advantages of working in in a small scale like micro scale and and like scale uh, micro macro scale in in snake robots. What could be really the advantages or disadvantages in, in both scenarios? So in micro scale, you probably don't want to uh, develop a snake robot per se. Yeah. Uh, but more, you know, in micro scales, you want to inspire this from a smaller organisms such as, you know, bacteria. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, many of the micro robotics platforms, they use this uh, you know, you how to learn this. Uh, you know how to use a flangella that uh, yeah. uh, of the uh, of the bacteria to help with its propulsion and so on. So these are the examples of by inspiration nature. But in terms of the materials, for us we use quite a lot of the soft structures that because at the smaller scale, mm -hmm. it is very difficult to uh, assemble things together. Yeah, although self-assembly is a interesting feature to study, but uh, you know how do you use those materials? For instance, we use uh, two-photon polymerization combined with uh, different kinds of photoresist that to print uh, small uh, micro actuators that has soft hinge and are using uh, various mechanisms to mm -hmm. for actuation. So and all this represent uh, you know this hard soft combination combined with uh, material uh, and also fabrication schemes to really to aid to the advantage of how those micro scale actuators can be constructed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So from your experience, what do you think are the most misconception about soft robotics and something concern you? Um, I think uh, it's really the meaning of soft. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> people think that uh, you know there is a uh, uh, dichotomy of hard robots and versus a soft robot. Mm -hmm. The dichotomy being that uh, you know the hard robot you have used the metals and uh, and and a more traditional structure that we construct a robot, whereas the soft is more like uh, using air, using fluid to actuate or using that uh, uh, using different uh, ways of doing that i think that, that the hard and soft is really that that can be misleading i would certainly would like to see is that uh, you have a continuum mm -hmm. of different materials that uh, that gives you the different uh, uh, properties mm -hmm. that cater for whether this being for actuation 
for making the structure to be compliant or have better stability that in terms of uh, 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 you know manipulation and so on as we know that when you have too hard structure where you want to grasp something uh, you need to be very accurate yeah. and in order to be able to do the pickup and so on but each one that has a, its compliance that that will be make the certain tasks to be a lost employee for mm-hmm. bi manipulation and so on so i think uh, it's really looking at the materials and how it will give you the uh, uh, advantage in terms of manipulation navigation uh, uh, combined with local sensing capabilities and so on uh, that that will be the thing to look at so i would certainly not to think about just for the sake of soft developing something mm-hmm. that is soft robot and something hard is called a hard robot doesn't really uh, work like that way yeah yeah i think you stressed about important point about um the the data because i think we issue we have the issue we have that sometimes the data is not reproducible in terms of the material i don't know how you would comment about that about having robust data and and reproducible as well yeah, so the data is always important. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the more traditional way of doing robotics, so you have sensors, sensors at joints and so on that they give you very definite, uh, uh, how should I say, uh, information flow mm-hmm. uh, towards, you know, con- forming closed loop control and also actuation and so on. So if you think about uh, using smart materials for constructing a robot, then it's become a continuum. Mm-hmm. So in fact, that uh, every part of material has uh, its intrinsic capabilities of providing sensing. Mm-hmm. So far, has limited work has been directed towards local computation because that uh, you we tend to use interconnects to pick up the sensing signal, then use digital uh, processes to forming the loop closure and also control. But in future, that uh, you know uh, you can do that uh, much more naturally, uh, like our biological system. So. I think this really becomes a really, really uh, uh, exciting development area. Then mm-hmm. the challenges are that, you know, the system, the dimensionality then goes very, very high. The system is very nonlinear mm-hmm. and combined with issues, hysteresis and all this, you know, properties come into play. So it make the control very, very hard to, uh, mm-hmm. very hard to do. So then you can think about that to why it is important to think about uh, uh, this new way of uh, sensing actuation and yeah. also loop closure that uh, really drawing inspiration from nature. Mm-hmm. That's interesting also because I think about controller, we have an issue about that traditional controller can destroy the natural dynamics of soft robots or smart material. And that's yeah. that's something we struggle because sometimes the modeling approaches don't really capture the nonlinear the material, it's yeah. anisotropic material. Yeah. and, and and it's kind of a struggle. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Because sometimes modeling is not sufficient enough to interpret these dynamics and the controller approaches, which is traditional, can destroy the nature of the soft robotics, which is nonlinear, as you say. Yeah, yeah, I agree that, uh, you know, you, in order to model something, you need to, the better you understand the system, the better you can model. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the system you can't uh, derive, uh, you know, uh, meaningful models mm-hmm. because the system is so complex and yeah. your understanding of that is so limited. So in soft robotics, there's also this general trend of data-driven approach that uh, uh, for 
you know, understanding the uh, intrinsic model of those uh, approaches. Some people use this, uh, you know, uh, data-driven approach combined with deep learning and so on. So mm. these are all good, you know, sensible ways of doing that. Uh, I, I think this certainly poses many, uh, many challenges, uh, many challenges, that, as I mentioned, the non-linearities mm. and also the, the you know, temporary varying behaviors and the heterogeneities and so on. So uh, I think that this data-driven approach combined with, uh, um, combined with use of soft robotics represents a very practical way forward. Of mm -hmm. course, I would like to see more, you know, other alternative techniques being developed as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would like to ask you, what is intelligence from your robotics perspective? Since you work and has this really great experience, how would you see intelligence robotics and soft robotics or robotics in general yeah so i think uh, it's useful that uh, you know intelligence i think uh, it's useful let's think about the perception and the cognition mm -hmm. uh so the basic level control and all these things i wouldn't call them uh, uh intelligence per se because these are you know this the how we control a uh, a basic form of robot but there is a really a lot we can uh, do uh, in terms of uh, uh, perception, enhancing the perception. So for soft robotics, that is, uh, uh, the material itself um, uh, can be made to be uh, uh, intrinsically sensing, uh, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. available, and you're not limited to discrete sensing points. So it's yet again, it's a continuum that you are dealing with. So uh, how do you it makes a lot of uh, you know uh, opportunities for you to understand environment to find its way and so on so as we human explore environment that uh, we use tactile we use uh, haptic we use you know combined visual, visual perception and so on to navigate and all this multi-sensory input becomes very uh, relevant in our navigation so it's no longer just using discrete joints mm -hmm. and also uh, discrete sensors to navigate the environment and coming to cognition is much much harder yeah i think that there is also opportunity for us to link with some of the work that uh, uh, currently working you know in electronics that uh, uh, in the new low power design that uh, the use of neuromorphic neuromorphic uh, you know yeah. uh, chipsets or asics and to give you the computation that is akin to how uh, biological system work and these are really represent a, a unique opportunities as you know that many of the biological you know organisms that uh, their locomotion and so on not necessarily that needs to uh, uh, you have a central controller so and mm -hmm. how, how do we learn from this this will be uh, uh, interesting uh, angles to think yeah so from the cognition point of view it's i think it's a it's a you know, it's a holy grail for what we do in robotics. But mm -hmm. certainly, from the perception point of view, uh, th there's a lot to uh, there's a lot of new opportunities here. And interesting. So, do you think also emotion is can be really important to integrate it? Because still, if we consider this um, important aspect to be intelligent, do you think that soft robots or robotics in general should like feel? Because some researchers are trying to do robots that can feel pain, but it's pain definition. I, I, I don't know what you think about this kind of titles. It's just true or hoax. 
that we can <laughs> design robots that can feel pain? I think this probably that uh, you know we we need to be careful here sensing mm-hmm. it doesn't equal to emotion. So you you can sense the environment doesn't necessarily that uh, you have emotion about you know how you feel and so on so mm-hmm. uh, as i said that uh, uh, this is really something related to your uh, the cognitive level mm-hmm. i don't think we are at there yet uh, certainly that many of the soft robot they are much more versatile in terms of uh, uh, you know showing how they respond to sensory stimuli mm-hmm. uh, how they respond to environment and how do we you know uh, uh, respond to uh, uh, external uh, uh, factors but i wouldn't call this emotion because emotion mm-hmm. is how you feel so this is much more profound uh, uh, concept that i think uh, you know uh, if you open this topic there will be a lot of debate within the robotics community so my my word here is that mm-hmm. just be cautious not to overstate that uh, what's yeah. been done. If you can sense something, you can, you know, uh, uh, show your sensory information that does, mm-hmm. is not equate to emotion. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So I would like to ask you, what are the current challenges that you want to solve? How are you facing the really research? Uh, for my own research area that uh, in medical robotics mm-hmm. is really uh, you know, when you move down to scale, mm-hmm. the number one is the fabrication. Yeah. And number two, when we want to increase the sophistication of sensing. And our problem is not so much in terms of developing sensors, that uh, in fact, that our problem is constantly faced are the interconnects. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you can make a lot of those sensors, but how do you deal with all these interconnects? Right, mm-hmm. so that that's really that we are we're currently working on materials that uh, can have both of those features that uh, sensing and also that uh, integrated uh, uh, intrinsic uh, or innate interconnects that to, to allow you to pull all the information together. Mm-hmm. Then the other area is uh, how do you uh, you know embody this uh, into a form that can be used for real surgical environment. So our current application area is dealing with, you know, the, the large scale surgical mm-hmm. uh, operation, you're dealing with millimeters or up to centimeter. But then also the other end is uh, uh, dealing with at the micro scale, micro scale that yeah. they're dealing, for instance, uh, 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 dealing with, uh, you know, chemo embolization that by using this uh, small, uh, smart, uh, uh, micro robots or yeah. particles in fact that uh, and how do they aggregate how do they uh, mm-hmm. in the move to size size specific binding yeah. and also they perform the function drug release and so on that you need so one of the uh, our latest project is called the fiberbot yeah. so how do you put a robot embodied in the form in, uh, of an optical fiber the reason we took this route is fiber is a you know it's extremely uh, good uh, vehicle that in terms of for delivery mm-hmm. for sensing for imaging yeah. and also for um, actuation as well so mm-hmm. this opens up a lot of the uh, new opportunities that you may have heard some of the uh, our recent publications in this area mm-hmm. yeah very interesting 
And I, I would like to ask you what limitation for this project, because I think it's very challenging and, and interesting as well. So <coughs> what could be the limitation? The limitation in terms of technical approach or yeah. it's the limitation in its uh, clinical use? And both of it's possible, just to know. Yeah, so let, let's talk about the technical limitation. I wouldn't call it limitation, but I would call it technical challenges or hurdles. Mm -hmm. Is how do you uh, embody all this uh, uh, together? So I mentioned already that uh, you know we can actually develop various different sensors that uh, in this important because it's a multi-material fiber and it can be integrated with different sensing mm -hmm. whether it being solid state or uh, fluidic based uh, sensing capabilities then how do you interrogate the data so what we want to do is to uh, um, use uh, you know avoid the use of uh, a large amount of interconnects that to help you with the sensing capabilities mm -hmm. the second area is actuation yeah. Uh, actuation that uh, you know when you miniaturize into small scales that you can't yeah. uh, you know use traditional schemes uh, first of all we can't use motors and the gears mm -hmm. so it's all depends on um, material material in response to external stimuli that yeah. whether it being being thermal optical or that uh, you know uh, 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 magnetic means so how do you actuate this and secondly uh, thirdly is how do you do the navigation uh, in the navigation in the clinic environment, you tend to need to have vision. So at this scale, that uh, integrating vision and all these things are challenges. And we are making tremendous inroads that uh, in this area. So uh, in all this area. And our uh, last uh, challenge that we are currently working on is uh, those uh, local computation schemes, that uh, the computation that can be embedded mm -hmm. into the material. So these are the four aspects that we are currently working on. Yeah. And I very much, you know, uh, hope that there will be more people, uh, uh, you know, will be inspired in this long work that uh, work together to address these issues. Mm -hmm. But do you think that's very interesting aspect, because I think that's it, a, a new a new level just but do you think the community is really focusing on that because we see two aspects using passive material and using traditional control approaches and others try to using the Buddha intelligent and focusing in material do you think that the community have to all have to focus in one direction do you think that to improve our future in the field I think it needs to be a convergence, convergence of people from uh, uh, different disciplines work together. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, you know, uh, the materials community that uh, more recently, they are really providing a lot of the uh, uh, technical know-how and also underpinning science uh, towards a new generation of robot. Uh, when I co-found the, uh, you know, uh, the Science Robotics Journal um, yeah. uh, with uh, Marsha McDuck uh, of Science. He, she was the, uh, the editor-in-chief for Science. Uh, we proposed this, uh, you know, we've been thinking hard on how to bring this uh, basic science uh, together in terms of supporting the future drama of robotics. So mm -hmm. uh, our, you know, vision was really that uh, the future of robotics needs to be science for robotics. So development of robotics needs to be underpinned by advances in science, materials, material science in, yeah. included. And second is the robotics for science. So how do you robotics to advance the, you know, uh, uh, mm. uh, the basic science development, whether being for 
space exploration, deep sea, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, all, all the other areas. But coming back to the first one, that uh, in terms of science or robotics, I think material science really uh, provides uh, uh, new and the fabrication schemes provide a new way of developing new generation robots that are multifunctional, mm -hmm. they are power efficient, they are compliant, and yeah. they are autonomous in ways akin to biological organisms. I think that's really what we want to do. But in our recent article that published, uh, uh, you know, about the uh, 10 grand challenges, it was published in January 2018, mm -hmm. we highlighted 10 areas that uh, different disciplines really need to come together. Of course, that, you know, uh, we, we are not limited by these 10 areas. There could be uh, other areas are more important than the ones we listed. Nevertheless, uh, this general thinking uh, is really valid if I may go through them one by one. So we talk about new materials and fabrication schemes. Mm -hmm. And also we think that the bar hybrid and by inspired designs are important because this can be these can be used to translate fundamental biological principles into engineering design rules or integrate living components into synthetic structure to create robots that are performing like natural systems. Mm -hmm. Or in other ways, the future robot doesn't have to be all synthetic material. You can link with cells and other, you know, uh, 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 other living components, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, into a synthetic structure. So this adds a new dimension towards yeah. how, uh, you know, uh, uh, regenerative medicine, uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, artificial organs and all those things that will be constructed because there's a natural link there. Uh, in the regenerative medicine is done in a more relatively s static uh, environment that with scaffolds uh, to, you know, uh, uh, linking with cell growth addition and so on. But then, you know, mm -hmm. you know, cells that uh, particularly for stem cell, they differentiate in the dynamic environment. So this requires sensing closed loop. So I think that's really, you know, linking yeah. with the basic scientific problem. Other area related to new power sources that uh, a lot of robots using, they are all what we call the tethered systems. They are robots, you know, connected with a wire to a power source. <laughs> you know, yeah. for biological systems that uh, yeah. we talk about snake, octopus, and human, and we don't have a tether to a power source. So you need, how do we do this? And more and more that, you know, having this uh, mm. a new power sources, that, uh, uh, biological power sources, that, oh. uh, new battery technologies, and also energy harvesting schemes that mm -hmm. can be useful. Mm -hmm. And uh, other areas we identify the robot swarms, that how to allow simple, less expensive modular units to be reconfiguring to a team depending on the tasks they need to be performed, and also being active, uh, effective uh, for, you know, a, uh, uh, larger systems. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate uh, in, um, you know, explore environments such as extreme environments? Yeah. And uh, how do you use uh, the relevant uh, AI technologies that for robotics, you talked about, uh, you know, perception, cognition, and these are all very relevant. And the brain-computer interfaces, social interaction, yeah. and we, and also ethics and security, and these are all important areas. I think uh, in robotics, as you can see, they all cover different disciplines. Yeah. So from material science to biochemistry, and uh, you know, to to uh, uh, electronics, mechanics.
mechanics and ethics mm-hmm. uh, to neuroscience. I think that's really exciting because our yeah. definition of robots no longer uh, a machine that uh, you know motors and the gears. It's much more sophisticated than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming to uh, soft robotics, you know, it has really this very word soft doesn't mean it's you know contextual that uh, you know. Uh, the form that they're being soft, but also have many other meanings as well. So uh, mm-hmm. that's why I say I quite like to use the word continuum of using, you know, yeah. different materials that to give you this continuum of uh, softness, if you mm-hmm. like, that in the way how do we construct new robots. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. And having said that, I think I would like to ask you about, do you think there's really challenges because uh, in some researchers we don't have the background like uh, if you it's interdisciplinary so you have the material science and electrical and and control a- expert so do you think there is a challenge now that we can understand different language because you have experience about this all parties but do you think those are a, a real challenges in in the field about understanding different languages i think for robotists that uh, uh, it's naturally multidisciplinary mm-hmm. so i think for us to interface with different communities uh, it's a natural ability that we have learned over the years but you are right there are you know uh, uh, disciplinary silos or barriers for mm-hmm. us to overcome and this really you know is um, very much in our uh, scientific communication that uh, making sure you know we, we it's uh, infeasible that for one team to be able to cover all these areas, mm-hmm. uh, how do we collaborate effectively? Um, and how do we work together and knowing those challenges? So it's a very much a, a process. I'm very delighted to see there are specific uh, sessions in related to robotics, for instance, in material science conference. So MRS, for instance, that uh, they organize this regular symposium mm-hmm. uh, on robotics uh, related to uh, materials and so on and also we are seeing other communities doing the same so these are all really great uh, signs that uh, the communities are really coming together yeah so uh, i would like to ask you what do you think uh, the most promising project that has been done so far by other research group in soft robotics and um, there are many Groups, I think that they are all doing f- fantastic work. That yeah. uh, uh, it, you know, I tried to be careful here not to uh, uh, you know uh, highlight uh, or that uh, you know miss out any of the uh, uh, laudable effort. Yeah. But I think that that the work that, for instance, uh, related to how do you <clears throat> uncover the in, uh, the, the intrinsic uh, behavior. The, you know, mm. uh, by using a data approach that uh, for doing soft robotics is an interesting one. And those work that are working on uh, uh, self-heating, uh, you know, uh, materials, mm-hmm. and also that uh, a lot of those, uh, you know, by inspired, uh, you know, principles, uh, you, you know, as many papers that are published in uh, science robotics, these are really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, very recently, I invited Barry uh, Trimmer and also Cecilia Lasky yeah. to write about, uh, you know, by inspired and also soft robotic system that uh, Barry 
talk about the uh, you know how do we use biologically inspired robots that uh, how to uh, 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 use the those materials mm-hmm. that the biological materials and the synthetic materials work together that uh, to uh, uh, to uh, to have this uh, robot those robot not only uh, have the this by inspiration this uh, by uh, you know, a hybrid system, but also that uh, be able to grow to some extent. And these are interesting work. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how do you use soft robots work with by hybrid principles that, uh, you know, for instance, uh, 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 Barbara uh, Mazzola and also Chichiraski, yeah. they talk about how do we develop robots that are not only uh, have those uh, you know uh, soft robotic components, but the robot can, i.e., robot can change shape, etc. Yeah. Uh, they really think about uh, uh, you know heating, harvesting energy, and uh, the, they can integrate with the environment. That, uh, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about this irresponsible use of technology by degradation, that we are generating mm-hmm. so many. You know robots that uh, how is what's the impact to the environment? So the you know mm-hmm. by integration by degradability these are interesting issues and uh, robot can grow that uh, a robot can evolve and uh, a robot with the intelligence uh, and also a robot with the social uh, intelligence that uh, to be able to uh, interact. So we are developing those robots more and more like living organisms that mm-hmm. if we can really benefit from uh, good use of materials, materials, combined use of materials, materials that, that are synthetic mm-hmm. and those materials that are, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, biological. Yeah, that's interesting also. So I would love to ask you when you go with your imagination, how you would see uh, or foresee the soft robotics in the future? <laughs> That's in five years, ten years, twenty years. So what mm-hmm. time scale we're talking oh, about? You are so specific. <laughs> okay, I have to say it. Okay, l- let's say twenty years, just to be realistic. Twenty years. I think in twenty years you will see a lot of the uh, <clears throat> the the actuators will mm-hmm. moving away from our traditional motors and the gears, uh-huh. and those you know based on the smart materials and they'll be able to have this uh, integrated, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, integrated capabilities, both in terms of actuation sensing and also so energy harvesting and so on. Uh, they will be uh, more widely used mm-hmm. uh, and they will able to perform tasks that the traditional, you know, traditional mechatronic scheme they are not able to do. And uh, ultimately, this will lead towards those robots are, you know, uh, a lot more cost effective and mm-hmm. also that uh, uh, they are a lot more practical and accessible. So that's in the kind of, I, I see 10, 20 years being relatively short. Mm-hmm. But further down the line, that it's, it's harder to predict. But, uh, yeah. uh, but certainly that... Uh, you know, uh, uh, this by hybrid and also uh, uh, systems will become much more prominent. That uh, those principles that we were talking about earlier, the robot be able to, uh, you know, uh, self-integrate, grow, yeah, and also uh, 
linking uh, uh, with the environment. And uh, so the robot can heal, the robot can harvest energy and uh, can evolve and all these features will become Mm -hmm. more practical is moving away from laboratory settings into practical applications. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask you about the ethics because you highlighted the ethics and regulation. Do you think that we have to come up with rules since we're dealing with material and some of the material recently using in kind of research is apparently toxic? So I don't know how you see this kind of like regulating the research and, uh, and making sure it's meeting the requirement, ethical requirement. Do you think we have to yeah. write something for, for the community or? I think ethics, uh, uh, all that, and also responsible innovation, these are very, very important. Uh, first of all, that you know, uh, we talked a lot about responsible use of AI and robotics, making yeah. sure they are used for the goods rather than for destroying the environment. That uh, uh, also that uh, you know benefit from the uh, uh, the misery of the others. So, I think th- these are important issues. So, um, it's uh, particularly that uh, in terms of we are talking about you know the introduction of new materials and uh, also its potential impact to the environment. Uh, these are very important. And the other is that uh, how do we develop technologies that uh, can benefit population at large rather than, you know, uh, 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 providing uh, social inequality. That, uh, yeah. These are important and these are ethical considerations we need to consider as well. Yeah. And that's interesting also about social inequality because we have the question we ask all the time that how we can make sure that the developed technology is going to lead to social equality. And in that case of the surgical robotics, do you think that's just like a surgeon and a surgical robotic when one day can really have a competition or they will all the time would be cooperative? How would you imagine the scenario in that case? Yeah, so when I, you know, uh, established Humbling Center, the first place that uh, our vision has always been develop technologies that are safe, effective, but we emphasize accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you know, as engineers, if our aim is to develop a technology that is sophisticated, nobody can understand this, you know, from intellectual value, uh, it's interesting. But mm-hmm. from social economic benefit, from the impact, I think uh, we are missing an important component here. Mm-hmm. And never forget that most of our research are actually funded by public funds. So, how do we plow back that our results into the community is a very important responsibility for us. So, yeah. for robotics, is really how do we make sure that uh, those technology are widely accessible, uh, that uh, uh, to the population at large. So, imagine if we can focusing on developing those technologies that are cost effective mm-hmm. i talked about surgical robots we don't you know need a robot that to perform surgery from beginning to end you know a lot of tasks that uh, in fact human can do much better than robot in current generation robots that uh, in performing certain tasks and certain tasks are very difficult to automate so Maybe that what we need to do is to develop those, uh, you know, smart, smaller, uh, compact robots that will be able to do certain parts of the procedure that cannot be done by by bare hands. Mm-hmm. And then naturally that you have 
many players into the field because they will be in the general category of surgical smart surgical instruments. And secondly, the cost will come down, and with more competitors and all this, that uh, this will certainly create a much more healthier ecosystem. Mm-hmm. From both from the business sense and also from the suppliers and also uh, you know uh, healthcare providers, I think then you then think about how do we actually to, to make sure mm-hmm. uh, you know more people will benefit from that because uh, from the patient point of view it's not only the cost but also the intangibles, i.e. quality of life after procedure, and. Uh, 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 also that uh, the functional restoration and the blood loss and all these other you know uh, intangible uh, benefits that uh, you, you can't just you know uh, cost this according to the consumables or the equipment being used mm-hmm. so in, in that sense that engineering development needs to be combined with uh, in this case healthcare systems will be health economics needs to be combined with the you know the ergonomics and design are the, the user point of view mm-hmm. and also that you need to look at the general efficacy uh, yeah. point of view in terms of quality of life improvement so it's a much more complex than we yeah. said and more and more people working by medical uh, related technology areas that are paying more attention to all these areas mm-hmm. so since most of funding is really public funding do you think that people outside the field or lay people really understand what's going around them since like this development is going do you think they are aware when you speak with people outside the field they are excited or uh, not so uh, you know uh, um, i think it's, it's it's in the many scientific topics many of the things we do it's difficult to translate into uh, simple lay language i think it's our responsibility mm. in terms of uh, actively engage the general public in terms of what we do uh, it's only by doing this that uh, we'll make uh, the technology that uh, you know become uh, uh, better known and also better appreciated uh, better understood uh, this is, in fact, is one area, um, you know, we've been trying very hard. But when I was uh, uh, at uh, uh, Imperial College, the, heading the Hamlin Centre, mm-hmm. I also was the uh, uh, chairman of the UK RAS network, yeah. uh, robotics and autonomous system network. And yeah. a lot of the activities are really are concerned with public engagement in terms of use general robotics, how this will affect the, you know, the population, the our life, yeah. our environment, and uh, how do we listen to the users that we have, uh, for instance, uh, you know, linking with patients, linking and also uh, 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 discussing or reaching to the uh, uh, you know, young students yeah. and also high school students and so on. That, Uh, you know, help to refine or thinking about the new curriculum design. So these are all important elements for us to prepare and also think about mm-hmm. not only the new talent pool, but also how to use effectively the robotics technologies in future. Yeah. yeah. Great. So I think this is also interesting part about that because many students wanted to start a startup or a company in, in soft robotics or surgical robotics. What do you mm. think the main important factors to have a successful startup or company? Because sometimes technology itself is not enough. Um, what I think you have a lot to say for your experience about that. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm not a uh, you know uh, uh, in business that uh, I'm yeah. the least qualified to say. But uh, for me, it's really if you really think about starting a business, uh, I think defining what we call the um, uh, USP is very important. The unique selling point. Are you meeting an unmet clinical need? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very important. Not to do a robot for the sake of robot because it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun for you, but the, there may not be a market. So how do you solve an unsolved problem? Yeah. Number two is that, you know, uh, it, it needs to be cost effective. And uh, if it does the same thing uh, at the 10 times the cost, then you do it in alternative simpler means. Yes, that uh, the robot will be, you know, in some ways as advantages, but uh, does it really, you know, uh, make it to be indispensable? So mm-hmm. that, that from the business point of view, I, I think the third one is really, has it got a, um, uh, you know, real market and uh, uh, this, the disruptiveness uh, of the market yeah. and how this will see and all this present unique challenges. Of course, that uh, many people think I have a prototype uh, in a working prototype in the lab that I got a uh, fantastic business to run is not the case at all. Yeah. Sometimes that uh, the first one making the product, it requires multiple, uh, you know, um, uh, iterations, generations in order for it. I mean, we can use the digital computer yeah. uh, as the example that in the 1980s, there are many computer companies. Now you, they've all, they are all history, only a few left. Mm-hmm. But what is, you know, what underpins, for example, that uh, the success of Apple? And there are many, many, you know, lessons we can learn from them. It's a fantastic uh, success story, how yeah. this being done in the robotics area. Uh, Intuitive Surgical is a great company that, uh, you know, not only because it's uh, 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 a product, mm-hmm. but also the technologies that they have been working on, you know, both for the current generation, for future generations, and also its vision for uh, developing uh, new things. So. They, they, they all have uh, difficult periods. They overcome, they overcame many difficult, uh, you know, hurdles, challenges, and so on. It's not, you know, by chance. In fact, that, uh, uh, if you look at the history of those companies, mm-hmm. uh, they all had a very challenging, difficult, mm-hmm. and the business lay uh, quite, uh, you know, uh, uh, touching moments that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on the verge of uh, yeah. going the other way. So. Uh, so I'm not qualified to talk about mm-hmm. the business point of view, but if you think about, uh, you know, uh, in, in medical robotics, if people are interested in developing uh, surgical robot companies and so on, it's really to think hard from the patient's point of view, from the surgeon's point of view, and also from the cost effectiveness, health, uh, uh, you know, health economics, and those kind of considerations, mm-hmm. the market, the supply chains. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Many, many issues, yeah, it's complex. Yeah. We are learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I'm, I'm really curious to ask you where innovations in general comes from mostly. Uh, for, for you, example, how you make sure you're innovative because hard work is, of course, a factor. But what makes a researcher like more innovative? Where did this come from? Um, I think, uh, you know, 
you, you mentioned about hard work and all these things. These are all essential qualities. Mm-hmm. I think uh, for me, uh, for me, is really that uh, uh, you know having a solid foundation mm-hmm. without a solid foundation, yeah. and uh, you know only try, try to take shortcut through a system what we call the system integration mm-hmm. route in robotics. You're quite often seeing that people, you know, I take a robot arm from here, I buy another, I choose from there, I put them together, then I got a product. It doesn't mm-hmm. go like that. So it's really solid foundation. Number two is really that uh, uh, take this route. Uh, you know, there are two ways of thinking about innovations. One is, uh, uh, you know, you arise from pure basic research and uh, you then try to find uh, an area that can be applied. Laser, mm-hmm. for example, is one example that how it's been developed. And the other is um, uh, from a real requirement and to perform applied research that to, to solve a problem. This is what the engineers mm-hmm. are you know, very much trained for and very used to. And uh, you know, Thomas Edison, that is a great example of yeah. Uh, you know, uh, apply research and how this transformed the world. So it can be either of these routes. But for surgical or medical robotics, which is an area I'm more familiar with, I think uh, spend more time in the theater, spend more time with the surgeons and, uh, you know, try to find out what are the gaps, what are the unmet clinical needs. And Mm -hmm. This really that, you know, it will give you a lot of inspiration mm-hmm. uh, in terms of solving those problems. Great. So I would like to ask you, do you think ego is important for researcher? the ego? I personally, ego has no place for researchers. Okay, that's it, a It wouldn't answer. get you anywhere. It, uh, <laughs> you know, having a big ego, mm. uh, you know, I'm more, uh, yeah. I'm more, I uh, believe in just, you know, work effectively and, uh, you know, uh, based on your strengths mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, try to avoid riding the waves because that all these uh, new trends and things, the waves are transient. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, for robotics, that perhaps that, uh, you know, uh, uh, from the real requirement and to distill into fundamental uh, 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 research questions, yeah. uh, this will be a much more viable way of doing. Yeah, great. So I would like to ask you, do you have any robots at your home? <laughs> I actually uh, don't have any robots okay. at home. Do you plan to have any robots? <laughs> so I do. Uh, yeah, I would like to, you know, uh, have a workshop at home that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do make, I wish that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do all this, but I think that is, a, you know, you need to mm-hmm. put a line here and, uh, uh, you know, life will work. Yeah. I actually, uh, that in my spare time, I do a lot of other things. I do a lot of art related work. So, uh, mm-hmm. and also that, uh, you know, uh, being an academic, I uh, travel a lot, I do have busy, rather busy uh, schedule, so I don't mm-hmm. see uh, my wife and children, <laughs> uh, you know, enough uh, time yeah. that the last thing I want is that uh, when I come home and spend all the time with a robot. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the reason. Okay, that's right. So I would like to ask you if you, uh, there's uh, an inspired book you have read and you would like to share some book like, was it inspiring for you, a book? 
I think there are many books mm -hmm. that uh, just one. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, if you want me to pick one, and in the context of this uh, conversation, I would think it will be being digital. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you have read this book by uh, Nicholas Negroponte. Mm -hmm. No. Uh, this. Uh, uh, it, I think it was uh, written in uh, 1995, mm -hmm. so I still remember I was, uh, you know, uh, 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 just uh, you know after my uh, PhD. Mm -hmm. But th this book is uh, interesting. I picked it up from the airport, and uh, mm -hmm. so I, I read it through the uh, uh, through a uh, uh, you know uh, through the flight. Oh, that's <clears throat> it's really it's not a you know, uh, a long book, yeah. uh, but it's uh, the, the way it's being written. I think it's uh, really visionary. So, uh, uh, in in this book that uh, he wrote a lot about uh, his vision that about you know the future of this digital age, mm -hmm. and uh, talk about uh, you know many things, and in fact that uh, uh, many things are become uh, today's uh, reality. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Uh, really, you know, common uh, in in life. So uh, they talk about uh, you know uh, how the newspapers, the daily newspapers, that yeah. uh, the, all these things will be done through the personal web portals, and uh, uh, it's really fascinating that he was able to uh, predict the future. Mm. You know, at that time, in this way that uh, you know nowadays you have all these uh, smart devices in your pocket and uh, phones, tablets, and uh, those days he called it ultra books and so on and mm. this is part of the norm and of course that uh, there are many things that uh, uh, you know he mentioned about you know uh, uh, didn't um, uh, materialize per se but you know predicting the future is always difficult but it's a really mm. fascinating book if you haven't read the book uh, it's really worth reading perhaps mm -hmm. from the retrospective point of view that uh, looking into how you know, uh, things get predicted back yeah. in 25 years, uh, mm -hmm. uh, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's really that, uh, uh, to think ahead for the next 25 years. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, can we have the same ability to predict how robotics will be in the next 25 years? Yeah. Uh, uh, or, or I will call it a title of living with robots. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the future robots will become pervasive, but mm -hmm. in what form, what sense, and how they impact, how they, uh, you know, coexist, uh, and also uh, in our uh, uh, social life. And this would make a fantastic book if anyone's interested in writing such a uh, book that uh, uh, by, you know, extending what uh, uh, Nicholas Negroponte have done 25 mm -hmm. years ago about, about the digital age. So I would like to ask you what is the main important qualities for a researcher, as you just summarize what what is the main important uh, qualities. The best quality for being a researcher. Yeah. And um, oh gosh, this is a very big question, <laughs> but what comes to my mind, I think, is really curiosity, mm -hmm. creativity, mm -hmm. and determination. And from my own journey, I think uh, these are the things that, uh, you know, uh, uh, mm. uh, really has driven me that for pursuing the type of work that we try to do and always uh, 
uh, maintain that. Of course, there are many other, you know, mm. elements that, uh, uh, you know, we need to consider. But all in all, think about what we can do. Perhaps we don't need to do many things, but do one or two things well in our career, mm-hmm. in our life. Yeah. And uh, they are meaningful to the society. I think that's the, these are the most important ones. Yeah. So in your journey, what was the best advice was given to you with a personal, professionally, and was like a life changing for you? So I, you know, I was very fortunate that uh, when I was doing my PhD and also doing my postdoc, I had uh, 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 tremendous friends that uh, 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 still, you know, we uh, maintain very close, uh, you know, uh, friendship and mm-hmm. also great mentors. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I had a mentor, Donald Longbow, who mm-hmm. is a cardiac surgeon. That, uh, he has. Uh, tremendous insight in terms of how the healthcare technology will be in future and uh, yeah. Godfrey Hansfield who invented the CT and uh, you know he's um, uh, you know where he how he approaches problems that yeah. always very original and also uh, with great insights and uh, the kind of engineering and also theoretical skill that uh, he's able to uh, you know uh, effortlessly really that point and these are really great examples that uh, you know yeah. uh, I really benefited from so I would like to see if you have we come to the end any final words you would like to share with soft robotics community uh, I think uh, for soft robotics first of all I think it's uh, it's a really really exciting field development but uh, you know we need to really uh, understand that uh, soft robotics is become a curiosity into mm-hmm. something uh, moving into the mainstream. So we now even have a journal that uh, calls soft robotics, which is a uh, great to the field. I think to go forward, uh, what we need to really demonstrate for soft robotics its capability uh, in terms of more traditional scheme cannot realize both yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, agility, adaptiveness, mm-hmm. the in you know in the clever use of by inspired principles and also combined with uh, by hybrid and other system that to, to help us so yeah. uh, it's really to demonstrate abilities that not, cannot be done to be faster stronger and mm-hmm. better then okay. it will really take the field forward yeah that's great so at the end of podcast and on behalf of IEEE Software Robotics Committee, I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. And it's a really an honor to and also a pleasure to talk to you and to explore those ideas. Of course, all these ideas, uh, you know, some of the ideas may not be correct and maybe it's only representing my personal view. But yeah. nevertheless, I would like to, uh, uh, you know, uh, join this, this discussion and also share my views. Thank Thanks. you very much for the opportunity. Thanks so much. It's an honor for us. Thank you.